Alex Law sits in the director's chair for the first time since the 90s and saves a local Hong Kong street in the process. Also, awards and stuff. My name is Kennedy, with me is Tom KW, and this is the director's series 33 on Alex Law's Echoes of the Rainbow. I wanna be free Like the bluebirds flying by me Like the waves out on the blue sea If your love has to tie me Don't try me. So, welcome back, and uh, this is the next to last episode uh, covering two filmmakers, uh, filmmaking partners and real life partners in uh, in one and that is Mabel Chung and Alex Law and uh, we're uh, only covering one movie this uh, episode and for the last one uh, we don't have a ton to do in a, in a big like finale bonanza or anything but uh, we, we certainly have their last feature movie and also one of the short movies they've done in the interim uh, we uh, found on uh, YouTube, they've, they've actually done three but uh, we only found found um, one uh, with subtitles anyway uh, but uh, this is the currently next to last feature movie that uh, pair has uh, done and they always collaborate of course but this time alex law directs for the first time since uh, well he co-directed the, the two minute short they did the one colon 99 short but his last feature was way back in 1992 with the movie now you see love now you don't um, and uh, Echoes of the Rainbow came out in 2010, but uh, certainly he, he always worked alongside Mabel and uh, and vice versa. So they're, they're, they're always a duo, and uh, we're nearly done. And the last uh, episode will involve the movie A Tale of Three Cities. And as you might remember, listeners, that movie came from uh, the research and the creation and the making of uh, the Jackie Chan documentary Traces of a Dragon that traced back to... Uh, yep. Through history and uh, through war times, uh, and uh, that inspired them to uh, create a feature movie. Now, I haven't seen it, so I, I need to do additional research. But I just have a feeling, Tom, that it's not the story of Jackie's father in uh, in feature form. It's a story surrounding characters that lived through history like that. I think that was where they were going because I haven't heard anything about Lao Ching Wan is Jackie's dad. That's a shame because that's what I wanted. That's what I was, you know, going into the film or was going to go into the film uh, expecting. Are you telling me if that's not the case? That's very disappointing. I want, I want you to be. We'll see what happens. But uh, the Taylor Fritz, it is. Um, I mean, they, they they take their time in between movie projects. They they certainly haven't uh, retired. Still going strong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they might have things in development that they want to flesh out. And uh, certainly the the feature break between Echoes of the Rainbow and then Tracking Backwards. Uh, I think uh, Beijing Rocks was the feature uh, the, the feature prior. And then they had a short movie, as I said, for the SARS project. So yeah. they take their time, but I think they're based in Beijing right now or in China. So uh, they're developing uh, projects uh, from... A lot of Hong there. Kong filmmakers based in China. Yes, they are. But they they, ha- they aren't roped in to do, like, have a 3D fantasy movie. It seems like they're still... Uh, they're, they're, they're still, like, we'd, we'd like to develop our own story and write it's it. It's coming. It's coming. There's going to be a change of heart, I can tell. That's, what they're, that's why they're, they're still going strong, because they're taking time to plan the next... It's going to be a city of glass in 3D, and I'm looking forward to it. That glass <laughs> is going to look really sharp. 
it's gonna be dang- add a little bit of danger to the film and i'm looking forward to it well you just count the days till the premiere then i am i am i've bought like a few calendars and and i'm kind of ready for it i bought like a decade's worth of calendars because i think that's probably how long it's gonna take but i don't mind waiting leon lion 3d lineup kits we all want <laughs> come on gonna be even more dull as he comes at you <laughs> dullness in three dimensions leon lie the movie <laughs> it's a love hate affair it's the select performances that get to me rather than the entire filmography you know he's not a sure bet let's just say that that's a good way of putting it like a Simon Yam is, like a Sandra Um is, uh, they're more of a sure bet. Speaking of the casting, Echoes of the Rainbow. Yeah. They're just workhorses rather than horses to bet on. Just to, just to clarify. Um, so uh, let's uh, get um, into it. Some brief contact information before we get going. This is the director series on Mabel Chung and Alex Law and the back catalogue of the episodes that covers um, their movies it's available on podcast on fire.com but the director series have been covering uh, other filmmakers in the past nam Nai choi kirk wong david chang ringo lam and uh, all that's uh, available i think the the, the the sad thing is that um, neither film a we've always reached a, a sort of ending point where some have passed away of course but we always reached an ending point where where they haven't done a movie for many many years or several years and we don't know if they have something cooking that we then can uh, uh, resurrect the series uh, uh, because of anything we've Uh, done that before didn't we didn't we do that for uh, kirk didn't we uh, no, we had all the movies available for uh, when it came to the Kirk. Uh, Kirk oh, so series. Dave. It was Dave who went back to uh, that film that we found that we couldn't find at the time. No, it was before Nam Nai Choi, uh, one of his Shaw Brothers comedies. <laughs> Third time, okay. Yeah, yep. <laughs> As I said, Nam, not Dave, Nam. There was a Shaw Brothers comedy that was never released on DVD or VCD, only through that Sea Eagle box. Uh, electronic box uh, it was in that and someone ripped it and we got to see it and uh, we, we completed uh, the filmography um, and the coverage uh, that way but obviously Ringo passed away and we covered uh, the movies uh, up to his uh, passing and David isn't directing anymore Kirk isn't directing anymore and uh, and these guys are taking their time but uh, I think we're going to see a movie or two you know I hope so yeah, yeah really hope so too it just seems like they're, they're comfortable developing projects uh, because uh, I don't think they're um, We've reached like story depletion, not from these guys. There's always something. No, there's definitely some uh, gas in the tank. I think tanks, plural. They, they, I mean, they might share a tank. I think that it's probably like a, a co-ownership kind of thing, like a joint bank account. They've got like a, a joint joint tank. Yeah, well, well, in uh, in Corona times, you you need to um, you need to stay close to each other uh, as uh, partners, uh, professional partners as well. So they might be in need of sharing a tank, indeed. Yes. Yeah, definitely. They might be rubbing tanks in a tank because it's it's the safest the safest way, safest way to get around. I think these days. Cool. Well, <laughs> just cutting you off right now. <laughs> Uh, the back catalogue of uh, all the other shows on the Podcast on Fire network are available on podcastonfire.com. Our uh, flagship show, Podcast on Fire, is there uh, where we talk Hong Kong movies, new and old. We talk uh, Korean movies and what's Korean cinema, sleazy movies on this weekend sleaze. And uh, uh, Japan on Fire covers uh, Japanese live action and animation periodically. So uh, we've been doing animation across 2020 when this is uh, recorded um, I don't know if you've uh, kept up, Tom, uh, not that it's a requisite, but... No, if you don't listen to my podcast, no, that's it. 
I'm being I'm being a meanie on this one. Well, it's it's fine, it's fine. It's not a requirement. But we did go back to the first feature anime ever made, which was a black and white propaganda movie for children. Then we went to the first color anime ever made based on a Chinese folktale, the same folktale that was the basis for uh, Green Snake and what have you. So they uh, they made that as they made their first color anime, and then we've done the first original video animation ever created, which was a Mamoru Oshii joint called the Dallas like a four episode arc so yeah yeah, yeah of course of so course. so we've uh, we've done that uh we'll get to your podcast in a minute but uh, if you have any questions or feedback uh, let us know if you've seen echoes of the rainbow and what you thought of it podcast on fire at googlemail.com uh, is the email uh, hit us up on social media join the discussion group called podcast on fire network uh, leave a like on our page follow us on twitter the twitter handle is at podcast on fire and i write about the variety of hong kong and taiwanese movies on my site sogoodreviews.com and uh, my tweets are available at sogoodreviews and uh, subscribe to us on itunes of course and uh, apple podcasts and um, rate and subscribe and uh, stream us on stitcher radio stream us on spotify the logs what is it about if they go to the logs.com what will they find I think I think this is about the third time and i think there's just nothing left now do you know what i mean ken i, I can't i just can't go on you need to be a good pitch man, even if you repeat your pitch. Uh. What it is, you know, it's in the title. You know what I mean? It's obviously a book discussion podcast, so just check it out. <laughs> if you're into books, you know what I mean? Just just go there. Book just club. find out for yourself. <laughs> it's, uh, a beer book club. Why not? Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's a good idea. That's I think that is actually uh, possibly a Let thing. Let me tell you something about Harry Potter. I There's... think Harry Potter, he, he's... <laughs> Let me tell you, let me tell you, listen to me, listen to me, listen is to me. Is this an impression of me or Stu? I don't know which, which I'm, one, uh, which I, one I'm sounds more I'm not a drinker, like. so I'm just uh, stereotyping drinkers right now. <laughs> That's nice, they'll be very pleased to you hear that. You can stereotype that. me as a stoner, if you like. That's, I've done that many times. It, it's old, it's old ground, do you know what I mean? I don't want to cover or go back to retread old ground. Hey man, Charlie Cho is like underrated actor, man. <laughs> <laughs> when he has I'm, sex with, with those women like it means something like chi like China. China, right? It means <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember this conversation very clearly, Ken. Yeah, that we had uh, one night on Skype. You guys hungry? <laughs> starving. Absolutely starving. But but in all seriousness, like 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 you you, you you must have like a short pitch that you can like just like boom, the kids will be interested if you say this about your beer podcast. I'm more of a cricket man than baseball, Ken, unfortunately. But if you want to hear me just knock it for six in terms of the amount of drink I'll be consuming, then check that out. How many beers per episode? Uh, there's two beers per episode. We review. We chat about the beers that we've been drinking during the week. So it's just a beer bonanza. Check it out, guys, at lagerlogs.com. If you're a fan of you know just wasting your time just hook it up check it out dude that's 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 my pitch all the social medias on there those things that people are into that's on the website the actual shows there we've got a full season 10 of the best everybody to consume it's free you haven't got to worry about paying for it just make sure so you need electricity obviously because you probably i don't know whether you're gonna be charging your laptop while you listen to it or it's, your laptop's gonna be like you know not charging i don't know how you get down but I know that it's there and you can check it out. 
Oh boy. Well, um, this is a simple show, but uh, I'm going to give you a rundown of uh, what's to come here. First, we'll talk some uh, production notes and uh, background uh, on, on the making of the film and the reception of Echoes of the Rainbow. That uh, stretches into its award season. And then uh, we'll uh, talk of the film, review the film. Short and sweet, and uh, the timestamps will be available in the show post. So let's get uh, to it. Uh, this is a first-time watch for both of us, by the way, so I didn't uh, have really any preconceived uh, notions. I just knew in the back of my mind this was was the movie Simon Yam won his first Best Actor award in Hong Kong for. So yeah, it's a, a certain meaning, meaningful uh, because of that. And what a journey, you know, from Dr. Lamb to Echoes of the Rainbow. <laughs> and a uh, plot from the Love HK film review of the film for Echoes of the Rainbow goes like this. Uh, little, uh, the little kid at the center of it all called Big Ears, played by Buzz Chung or Chung, is a naughty youngster who dreams of being an astronaut and, and of eating a whole order of double yolk Mooncakes, gotta dream. When not running around with a glass bubble on his head, Big Ears engages innocently in petty theft and fraud in hopes of funding his mooncake binge. Uh, he also narrates the continuing saga of his parents, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Law, played by Simon Yam and Sandra M, who runs a shoe store on a small neighborhood street in Sham Soipo with uh, much of their earnings going towards their son's uh, school fees, uh, because they have two sons. Biggest brother, Desmond, played by Arif Lee, strives to excel at school while also pursuing his first love, a pretty girl named Flora, played by Evelyn Choi. Uh, Biggest looks on attentively, but full comprehension may, may not exist for the bad little boy, at first anyway. When does Biggest get it? True to life, it's not one single incident that gets Biggest turned around. Instead, it's the whole shebang. His parents uh, struggles with money, his brother's difficulties with first love, the cruel forces of nature, the indifference of fate, that uh, that affects uh, change on Big Ears and his family. The late 60s, as this is set uh, during that period, are a tough time for the laws, uh, the, laws, the law family, with their business floundering due to unstable sales and corrupt uh, policemen shaking down their shoe store for uh, protection money. Furthermore, their small store has a hard time with things like typhoons and mr law eventually gets frustrated with his son's uh, growing pains in particular the younger one uh, meanwhile desmond's uh, budding romance with flora takes a tough turn desmond decides one day to visit the sick flora and uh, if you know your hong kong ge- geography he's walked her to her house and it's a big walk tells you in advance what to expect basically she's not crammed into a shoe store with all her family members uh, she's rich, and that's just the beginning of uh, Desmond uh, of Desmond's and Velour's uh, difficulties throughout the film. There is a p- uh, plot point in the film that uh, occurs at the hour mark, and I think it's kind of inevitable. It needs to be discussed because I think uh, we gotta give us sort of critical note whether it's a good development in the story or not, Tom. So yeah, we we won't mention it right now though because um, okay, uh, it's not in that plot summary uh, what happens in the second hour. Uh, but um, be aware that there will be spoilers. So, um, yes, uh, it's not a like development for the last 20 minutes of the film or anything. It occupies yeah. quite a bit of the film. We won't spoil the ending, uh, like the final frame or anything, but uh, I, I have notes on um, on uh, the, the dramatic and the sad uh, aspects of the film. Yeah, I was planning to spoil the credits, if that's okay. The opening or the closing credits? D- this film had a crew on it and cost. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Cats out of the bag People now. worked on this film. Jeez. This is from a script by Alex Law. And Mabel Chung this time takes uh, producing reins. And, and Alex directs for the first time since 1992's Lunar New Year comedy smash hit. Now you see love, now you don't. Starring Chai, but 
in an interview, uh, which is uh, available online on YouTube with uh, the Hong Kong Trade Development Council's uh, YouTube channel, um, and it's uh, it's in English, uh, uh, not English subtitle, but it's uh, they they speak English. Uh, Alex Law speaks of, uh, albeit shortly, that this is a story from his childhood that he witnessed or knew of. It's not very clear if I was big ears. Uh, it it might be kids he saw. Uh, or incorporated various things from his life into a new character, but 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 it is uh, part of his childhood. The memories uh, he uh, he says the drama here is about creating true emotions, uh, true characters and situations. And despite the local story, you can still uh, make it global. You can transcend national uh, boundaries if uh, if you make it a good story. So while it is a local story with so subtext that locals would pick up on, especially um, the chaos of the sixties. Their, their intent, I think, was to create something that uh, could travel, and uh, and they certainly did because they um, they witnessed that uh, during the screening at the Berlin International Film Festival. I think Mabel said that the foreign audiences were uh, crying uh, louder and harder than the Hong Kong audience. That's awesome. So so, so it certainly got uh, uh, got uh, to uh, the festival audience. Uh, as I said, the film is set in 1960s um, uh, Hong Kong and was shot on the historical Wing Lee Street in uh, Chung Wan. Wing Lee Street was uh, the only location um, Al- uh, Alex speaks of that still resembled Hong Kong of the period, even when they were making it and um, planning it. Uh, they read in the news that the government was planning to uh, tear down and redevelop the area because government sucks. Uh, so guess <laughs> nothing old should remain. Statement of the year from Mr. Kenneth Brawson, right hot, there. Hot take. Take notes, people. Take notes. And um, therefore, they, they were considering other suitable locations, maybe in Malaysia or Canton instead. But ultimately, they, they found a window to catch the old before it uh, was torn down, torn down. But the news uh, shifted um, in, in the wake of uh, making the movie. Uh, and the town planning board decided to preserve Wingley Street uh, as it was uh, specifically designated that the terraces in front of the buildings, not the buildings, they were historical. So uh, it was argued that uh, it shouldn't be completely redeveloped uh, because of that. And the reason why they reconsidered it, uh, rather than just going ahead and plowing it all and uh, plowing it all uh, and uh, removing it completely, was due to the Crystal Bear that the film won in Berlin. Specifically, the Crystal Bear for best film in um, what's called the Children's Jury Generation K+. So uh, that, that's obviously a great honor, and it created ripples and reconsideration back home. It's awesome, the power of cinema. Yeah, indeed. So it uh, really had um, had an impact uh, uh, even the people uh, off the street, uh, as they were uh, scouting and uh, going into making of, making the film, remained timeless, as, as some still had a 60s-style haircut, so the production <laughs> didn't need to do a massive redo of hairstyle or clothes as they populated the surroundings with uh, extras and what have you. So um, There's probably a lot of bowl cuts going around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Then in the uh, in the aftermath of the film, because of the new status that the street uh, received, uh, uh, popularity and also gained a status of sorts as a historical site, it became more of an attraction for locals and maybe tourists as well. And uh, 
and um, they talk of uh, the fact that they were making a very natural drama uh, on location and therefore it didn't need to be spiced up with special effects and huge 3D shots but Mabel does say they used digital effects to put in the likes of Victoria Harbour in shots and other various surrounding areas which means that's non-obtrusive and not boastful CGI it's just yeah, uh, I didn't notice it was CGI at all I thought it was just uh, an actual shot yeah, yeah there, there, there's a night shot that yeah. uh, where, where you see like um, the street in the lower hand corner and the harbor in the upper hand corner, and that's apparently like this CG uh, composite. And uh, you wouldn't have no idea. Very subtle, yeah. So uh, that's how you use it when you simply doesn't know it's there. That that means you have used it well. Uh, Echoes of the Rainbow was a hit at the local box office in 2010. It was the third most profitable movie uh, in Hong Kong with a 23 million Hong Kong dollar gross, trailing only Ip Man 2 and uh, 72 Tenants of Prosperity, which might have been that year's big Lunar New Year uh, hit, uh, but I'm not completely sure about that. Uh, The Hong Kong Film Awards were also kind to the film, giving Alex Law the award for Best Screenplay. Actor Arif Lee won Best Newcomer. Best Original Song, which was composed by Lowa Lowe, written by Alex Lowe and performed by Arif Lee, won. I believe um, it, it's uh, probably the closing credit song. Yeah. The one that plays during the events that happen at the end of the film. <laughs> yes. And Simon Yam won the coveted statuette of Best Actor, and that was his first uh, Hong Kong Film Award for Best Actor after having been nominated uh, in this category and supporting actor category. I mean, speaking of Ip Man 2, he was in Wilson Yip's um, Juliet in Love, and I believe he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, playing the triad uh, that leaves the baby in the hands of Francis M and Sandra M's character uh, in the film. So that that year, otherwise, was uh, uh, the year that Bodyguards and Assassins was nominated, and they picked up big awards such as Best Picture and Best uh, Director. That was a uh, uh, that was Teddy Chen, wasn't it? Uh, Bodyguards and Assassins. Yeah, I think that's like swept the board that year. Uh, really, I think I think Shinju incident, uh, Derek Yee Shinju incident, maybe won one of the, one other award, but I think uh, Bodyguards and, and Assassins just yeah cleared it. Yeah, and that was the best director and uh, best picture. And uh, speaking of Leon Lai, I believe he was in it, and uh, obviously Donnie Yen. But uh, it was a CGI Leon Lai or like three D CG Leon Lai. Or I don't know. I just don't know. normal. Leon it was two thousand and ten. It might have been. I might check check that one. Uh, never saw it, but but I know it's uh, it was a movie that uh, inspired a documentary called Development Hell. So that means that Teddy Chan didn't have an easy time getting that to screen. Uh, so we did not at all. Good film, yeah. Interesting backstory and in good film as well. Kara uh, Hoy's performance in the movie At the End of Daybreak was also awarded, and uh, Lau Garlam received a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2010, and um, he 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 died like um, 2012 or 2013, so he was alive to uh, to uh, receive that and so forth. So that's awesome. Uh, so that's the background. Let's uh, get on to the short opinions, first of all, of Echoes of the Rainbow, and uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor in a little bit. Uh, in some ways, I think this could be a divisive work because it goes down the route of, and this is the spoiler, of the terminal disease drama. Yeah. But we need, I think we need to address how it handles that. Um, you can easily get it wrong. You can come off as being insincere rather than doing it with heart. W- what it prevents Echoes of the Rainbow of doing is, uh, is not fresh because of it. But I still found myself involved in the natural daily lives, even the darker punishing times. It's held afloat by great veterans and solid youngsters, even the little one, uh, which, uh, you know, is a very young actor, little Buzz Chung. 
I mean, <laughs> it's, it sounds like I, I'm going to choose my English name because I like Toy Story. So I'm boss. <laughs> That's the thing. He wants to be, aspires to be a spaceman in this, doesn't he? So it's quite, uh, it's quite funny. His name's Buzz, yeah. And he saw it. It's, it's quite often, though, dangerously close to falling apart because it's so... It is dark and it is tragic and it is punishing, but I think it largely works. Uh, the duo have proven that they sometimes can get way too sappy. Speaking of City of Glass, which I didn't think work, worked, but uh, Alex Law, I think, largely controls his um, his beats here. So I, I, I quite enjoyed it and it got to me and... Um, not to be too personal, but it's not easy to watch movies nowadays that has terminal disease uh, dramatics in it. But I got through it. So. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what, what you said, Kenny. Yeah, I think it could easily have fallen apart or got too melodramatic with the events that kind of happened during the back end of the film. But it's it doesn't. I think it kind of works really well. And it's all kind of uniformly, you know, really good. It's, 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 a very, it's a very sweet, you know, emotional film. And I think it... It very easily draws you into its world quite quickly with the way it romanticizes the period it's set in, you know, the uh, the late 60s. And it, it could have just rested on its laurels and, and function as um, a breezy snapshot of that time period. But instead, it has a lot of depth and has almost a, like a poetic quality to it. You know, I, I feel with uh, the events that happen and the kind of the way that the the characters or the way the events kind of affect the characters, I think it, it works really well. I mean, if you're good, um, you can go down the terminal disease drama route and um, and be awesome at the end. I mean, um, the Derek Yee movie, Cela V. Mon Cherie, mm. is... Uh, goes down those routes uh, fairly late but because it's also a very uplifting movie and then that unfortunately comes back in in that movie but um it uh, it certainly isn't a kiss of death for a movie it's just that if you if you crank the melodrama and and go out of control with uh, with music and crying and make it feel calculated then um you're gonna derail but i think uh, alex law as close as he comes yeah manages to avoid that because i was um involved him emotionally and all of that um and i mean they're also good at sweetening up the atmosphere in general in their movies through like picturesque nostalgia putting a little piano score in there doesn't need to be more complicated than that and um even though they've had missteps but they're they're still very good at simple naturalistic stuff going back to obviously norton's tale and things like that so they have that in their blood still uh, alex law hasn't changed into an insincere filmmaker um across the years you know what i mean like it still feels like um they they, they balance the elements of affecting audiences but not prodding them you know feel definitely yeah. and i think a lot of that comes from as you were saying it was kind of based on his life or you know events in his life and i think there's a real kind of naturalness that that comes from that and, and i kind of uh doesn't feel the need to kind of deviate into something very melodramatic and, and over the top it kind of just lets lets the film kind of breathe and 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 you know, it. I mean, it does get by a lot on its atmosphere and it's kind of like yeah, the, the the decade that it's in, the kind of just just the overall vibe of it, really, to be honest. It does, I think, it make for a really kind of interesting film straight away, as I say, it just kind of draws you in. But yeah, it's, it almost feels like nostalgic for, you know, and you feel nostalgic for a time and a place that you've never been to. And I think, it, and I think that's what you were hinting at with or, or kind of what we can read from the... Uh, acceptance it got from the international fans you know um at the film festival that 
it just kind of speaks to uh, people regardless of kind of, you know, whether you, you don't come from Hong Kong and you weren't alive in the 60s, it doesn't really matter. It kind of still feels nostalgic. For, for locals, especially who remember the era, it is framed about front and center things, but, but it is after all background chaos that they speak of. We don't have scenes of demonstrations and violence and things like that. I mean, uh, the closest we get, but I've heard it's it's not necessarily historically accurate, is the Western policeman shakedown that happens. And apparently that wouldn't necessarily have happened in 1960, but but because it's made with uh, investors, including Chinese investors, it you know it, uh, it needed to be there. I didn't recognize him, by the way, but uh, the, the actor playing the uh, Western policeman is John Wakefield, and he was the Western villain in Once Upon a Time in China 3. So, uh, but I didn't recognize him other than, who is the Westerner? Because he speaks Cantonese, clearly. And like, oh, it's John Wakefield. I remember him from, uh, I don't know if he was like a Russian villain or whatever in Once Upon a Time in China 3, but... Uh, yeah, he is. He is. He's Russian in Once Upon a Time. He's in um, Police Story 3 as well, isn't he? He's one of the police officers. I don't remember, but uh, they, they had they had a Westerner or two in there, I'm sure, uh, for Police Story 3. And uh, because he speaks Cantonese, he obviously could do sync sound um, too. So like the political and historical insight that you might gain if you knew the era is there and probably elevates the movie or enhances the movie. I don't, but I, I think Alex Law consciously made, it, made a decision to not have it front and center, but have enough there for people to realize that they're living through that chaos. And that comes back to your point that no wonder this played internationally because it wasn't hard to penetrate necessarily. Uh, it's yeah, a story. No, definitely. definitely. Uh, so, I mean, we can look it up. Like the backdrop of history is merely spoken of and the chaos is, but we can look it up if we like. But in a way, it's from the perspective of the kids as well. I mean, you see the initial scenes of uh, Buzz stealing the goldfish... Uh, uh, bowl from uh, Lawrence Lau's shop. He's one of the directors that makes a cameo here as a goldfish salesman, director of Spacked Out in Gangs, Lawrence Lau. First of many. Yeah, there's a couple of here. There's a couple of uh, <laughs> veteran actors and veteran directors here. And he walks around his, uh, his Hong Kong uh, watching it through a bubble, literally. Uh, and uh, like a distorted view and, uh, and his view. So that's why the movie doesn't stop to become a documentary, I think, because it is from the perspective of the kids uh, for a good while. Yeah, de- definitely. I think it, it's really about, it's, it's kind of his film, isn't it, really, in terms of what we're seeing the events that occur through his eyes. You know, he's kind of the the main character, I, w- I would think. He's the one that we kind of attach to and kind of see everything happening. Obviously, you have you know sympathy for a lot of the, the other characters, um, but I think with him, he's the one that's probably the most easily identifiable because it's kind of a universal thing, isn't it? That we've all been kids and all been quite curious as to you know, how life works, and some of us are still trying to decide. You know, I know I am. When you're 12 years old, like you are, then, uh, then, you're, <laughs> then, then you're still curious about life. Uh, I know you're saying about the, um, with the, the kind of shaking down and the kind of hustling of, of the of the, the police officer. There's a lot of that kind of in the back end with the hospital as well, isn't there? And, and with a lot of the nurses and stuff. And it didn't take away from the film for me. I, Cause I, I, I kind of thought, I think if they were lesser filmmakers, there would probably be some kind of confrontation with the police officer or, or the kind of the medics at the end. But there wasn't that really. It was just kind of a very, it was just showing it kind of that's how life is. And, and, and that's, and that's the kind of the way it was back then. And there wasn't really kind of any, dramatic element from it it was just kind of showcasing it for all it was it feels authentic Sondheim is um 
is obviously is in a dramatic role here, but she, uh, she's funny initially as this uh, fast-talking uh, hustler. Uh, as she, you know, sells shoes and uh, g- gives the customers deals that they might not like pick up on because she's a, such a fast talker. And uh, Buzz talks of in his uh, voiceover narration that uh, she got uh, her, her nickname became uh, not Madam Law but Madam Outlaw. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's taking his cues from his from his mother in a way because she uh, she like uh, hey, hey you can get uh, like uh, these shoes are too big but uh, it's this material and it, it will shrink and uh, so it will fit them eventually so uh, yeah you can have free and uh, it's uh, sixteen dollars fifty cent but let's just call it uh, sixteen dollars okay bye have a good day uh, 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 okay oh. and yeah, she she's, she's um, right. obviously has a comedic background and she can. Um, navigate scenes like that uh, but obviously she's a great dramatic actress too so both sets of uh, sort of delivery i suppose uh, suits her like a like a glove obviously great kind of comedic talent when she first started and i think she kind of as she got a bit older advanced into more dramatic roles as you're saying with like juliet in love and uh, you know there was a time when uh, where this kind of came out where she just managed to kind of meld both those aspects and, and you got films like um like Golden Chicken and uh, and films of that ilk that are kind of like, yeah, kind of a good middle ground between the two aspects of her talents. Have you seen her directorial debut, Ken? Gold, gold something. Yeah, she did a ghost movie in China, which is like, how can you make a ghost movie in China? <laughs> that no, doesn't work, geez. but she did. Ballsy. It's got Francis in it too, right? Um, um and um together again. A bag of, <laughs> a bag of um and ums. Hopefully peanut. I like. I like peanut. So, uh, but yeah, she uh, she she took um, a journey to her behind the camera in uh, D. But I haven't seen it. Uh, but um, uh, she's uh, she's been in her fair share of those movies. So it's like I kind of know that arena. So let's uh, let's try it out. Let's do it. Go ghost film. I'm down. This movie is also populated by uh, veteran actors that just ah. This is going to be good here, even though they're not in it for uh, for, for a lot. I mean, you get appearances by Paul Chun, uh, Derek Hees, uh, brothers. Uh, the grandma is played by the great Teresa Haping. And uh, obviously, uh, some further more directing cameos. I did miss Clifton Coe's cameo. He's the one that uh, is hustled by by Sondheim's character as he buys shoes for his <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah. Uh, uh, actor and uh, director Vincent Koch is uh, here. Um, Anne Hoy plays uh, yep. the teacher of uh, Big Ears. In that like rooftop schoolroom, I, I found that a bit weird. Is it, was that a thing? Like, is that actually a thing? It, it, it's not, it seems a bit impractical with the rain and stuff. You know, it, it's 10 years ago, so Hong Kong movies were still uh, more frequently produced and as Hong Kong movies. So was it cool to see like... Uh, even if you don't like uh, come up with the name Teresa Harping in your head, but you you just know that that's a veteran actress, and this is gonna be like solid and professional and reassuring. Uh, it's not gonna be like uh, uh, phoned in necessarily. Or I think so. Yeah, I think uh, again, I, it's it, it's building that kind of solid foundation, isn't it? And I think uh, in, in terms of you assembling a good cast, and I think. With this film, it's all about kind of the different families and the kind of different interactions between the families. So I think it's good that we got some all on that street as well. So yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. they they in during evening meals they uh, eat uh, on tables uh, outside. So there's there's a closeness community in community wise there, but also when times are hard um, and when families argue, then everybody everybody knows because. They're they're right there, um, seeing that and offering their, they're like, come on, calm down, let's just eat. And they, it's not like uh, butting in into family matters or anything. It's just that that street means that 
uh, they're all they all have a closeness of uh, of sorts and uh, being shoe a shoemaker uh, he doesn't just repair shoes but he makes shoes uh, mr law he uh, positions himself as sort of essential in a time of chaos because everybody needs uh, shoes and paul Schoen is a is a barber which leads to some yeah. fu- funny stuff but he because he uses big ears as a guinea pig whenever a new barber comes in like uh, <laughs> to to try to to try and cut it properly he does it on on big ears and uh, i think uh, little buzz is wonderful there because he just doesn't like being experimented on <laughs> he liked his bruce lee haircut and and he, he wasn't down with the kind of more you know trendier kind of cuts he wanted his he wanted his bruce lee cut and and he got it do you know what i mean he reverted back to it it's one of those things like neither does well, well Teresa hopping as a very a fairly big moment and a big speech but neither her or paul Schoen are there to like we're veterans, we're gonna get some veteran acting done here and be nominated and let get us a monologue, damn it. No, they're they're simply very good veteran presences that enhances the film even greatly yeah. because they're there and they, they feel like real people. They're they don't have a movie store aura about them and, and never have because uh, Paul has always been you know a good character actor. But back in the day played a lot of villains but knew of warmth like you read about in, in his um working for his brother or in other movies, uh, because he's very he's very good in Celavi Moncheri, and then fast forward to Lost in Time, he's very good as well, and that warmth is is very good. But he, he's also good at just being a big prick in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, he can be he can be uh, vicious and all. He's in Wild Search, uh, so he, he does some some naughty things to Chiefet. Yeah, mate, it's the yin, the yin and the yang. Ken, I think is what you're getting at there, my friend, and, and I like it. And for the first hour, I don't know if you noticed this, um, Simon Yam and Sandra um, largely feels like supporting characters. So, so I was wondering, like, yeah. best actor? Wouldn't this be best supporting actor? But obviously, he, he he is a main actor in the end. But, uh, you know, you're just seeing flashes of them as they sort of welcome the kids home. Like, what did you learn today? He always asks uh, big ears. And uh, there's, we, we don't see a lot of flashy acting and flashy character moments. Like, uh, what is still, like, integral and good? And, like, this is superb to have simon and sandra here because this just fits or what did you think no that definitely i think i think in general it's a, it's a very like warm film when it's based i think in general it is but i think it, it definitely is when it's based on the kind of kids but i think when the um sad and, and dramatic beats kind of hit that's when kind of simon um and sandra come in you know what I mean? And that's kind of when they take over the film, really, mm-hmm. and it kind of gives them a chance to to shine. And I think that kind of latter half of the film is probably why, you know, Simon won, won, won the award for the film because yeah. he, he gets a, you know, real kind of real, you know, subtle, but um, really effective, you know, showcase of his skills at the back end. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're blending into the environment. They're not making too much noise during that first hour, which I greatly enjoy because they, whenever we cut back to them, it's uh, it's it's great and immersive, and uh, we in the mean in the meantime we get to experience that uh, Desmond and Big Ears they're not uh, they have playful ribbing, and therefore he's kind to his brother, and uh, Big Ears looks up to his brother and uh, notices him and uh, sees the accomplishments that he has in his life and all of that. So 
Yeah, I really like the pairing of Simon and Sandra because I think they've been in films together before, but not as a couple, for, you know, to the best of my knowledge. Or kind of it working in close proximity, you know, in terms of like a, a pair that they've been in films, like an yeah. ensemble Yeah, yeah they're both in Juliet and Love, for instance. Yeah, yeah. But you bring it together, obviously, as, as we said, the two biggest workhorses, arguably two biggest workhorses of, of Hong Kong cinema, you know. Ten, ten credits per, per year in their, in, in their heyday kind of guys. Yeah, for sure. And uh, here it's um, they, they make the most out of uh, maybe they only did a couple of movies in 2010 and they, this was a big one that they collaborated on. And, uh, in, and you engage in obviously the father's story and the family story because you, you, it makes you wonder how long the father can afford to pay for the failing studies of uh, Big Ears or if it's... Uh, or if he's worried at all, because for a while he just asks, uh, what did you learn today? I learned Chinese, okay. What did you also learn today? English, okay. But he never really gets anything out of him, because he's uh, he's not a good student for little uh, big ears. He's, he's failing in most uh, most of his uh, subjects, so there, there is that. I, I, I think one of the few sort of insecure touches, but they get her in the end, is uh, how they introduce uh, the Evelyn Choice character, Flora, with uh, slow motion and the score and the voiceover. And it, it, she's, she's like a heavenly visual. And I thought, like, not a good start, but they do they do make us enjoy and invest in the Desmond and Flora relationship. And uh, they, they took their chances here because I think this is her first movie and she apparently came from modeling. So they're taking a chance on a new actress here. And uh, that shows, but I still think they managed to merge those two well and uh, be good storytellers crafting that romance. I mean, it, it, it's not award-winning and she looks new, but that was the only awkward moment where I thought, like, are we going down City of Glass roots here where everything needs to be, ex- like, enhanced with music and a moment? The cynic, as per usual. Well, for a I second. I, yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that, man. I, I kind of thought that she was great, but I, I think it's probably because she isn't given, like, huge dramatic beats, you know, or any, any kind of heavy lifting to do. She's kind of quite subtle and quite quite sweet, and, and I think it, it works, um, or she works in, in that role easily. Yeah, there are well-played well um, scenes of young love. Like, they, they have good-natured and verbal interaction as they hang out, yeah. whether, you know, at school or go and look at um, at fish uh, in, in the store and all of that, because they both like fish. And um, Yeah, I like the fish angle. I think that's what I was, I was kind of talking about, hinting at with the the kind of poetic nature of the film. There's there's a lot of stuff there. There's some like recurring themes, and, and the fish is one of them. And it's yeah, there's 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 stuff being said there, you know, for sure. Um, maybe I I don't quite get it because I'm a dummy, but I think second, third, maybe tenth watch, there'll be a bit more to to unravel. Well, will you just uh, get back to us when when you're I'll there? Get back to <laughs> on the ninth viewing. I'll let you know. He, at the beginning, there's a turtle, which made me think of uh, Painted Faces, because you remember Sam had a turtle under his uh, bedpost in Painted Faces. So I was like, hey, <laughs> yeah. hey, look at turtle. Animal Cruelty 101. <laughs> not in this one, though. <laughs> and, and really, for the first hour, it's not about kickstarting the plot like 10 minutes in. It's just about establishing a fine family unit, uh, ideal unit, even as they are struggling. And, and it's a, you don't need to make it gritty. We understand that they're struggling, uh, but it doesn't need to be uh, harsh and depressing because they're they're poor. I mean, they're they're, they're sensitive to their status as poor, but uh, it's not uh, about pushing that angle hard. And even you know when we get that bit of a surprise, 
unless I didn't pay attention, I didn't uh, know that Flora's family was rich until Arif Lee visits her during that long walk and then all of a sudden, oh my God, they live in a mansion. Yeah, I think that's when it's revealed because it adds to the scene. You know, when he, he obviously it does a long journey and I think that's kind of when you find out like, geez, yeah, she, she obviously lives a bit better than um, they do. They're, they're good together. He He's also um, a new actor at this point, uh, Arif Lee, and I think uh, he finds a decent groove as he's vulnerable in her presence being in her house. And uh, it's all nicely downplayed angles without it being like him just sinking his head i'm poor but uh <laughs> <laughs> is that how people give it away that they're poor is that what they do they sink their head they just sink their head poor okay i need to start doing that more <laughs> uh but but what do you think of his um like like before we get to the big big stuff like, uh was his act playing the the teenager desmond here you know was that immersive and good coming from a new actor yeah, I'm saying obviously he's a few years away from Kung Fu Yoga. Obviously, his crowning achievement. But I think, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> at this day. <laughs> I've seen Cold War, but I don't remember uh, him. He's not front and center in Cold War uh, alongside like Aaron and Tony. But he's in Cold War, for instance. But uh, he's one of many men in costume shouting at each other in boardrooms and things like that. So. Yeah, well, I think most people obviously know him from uh, Bruce Lee. My brother. I, I, I did say that. Uh, it was the same did, year or the year after? Yeah, the year after, I believe it did, uh, Bruce Lee, my brother. So I have seen that. But uh, what uh, what was your general notes on Arif as we go into this story beat of him uh, feeling uh, uh, like he's not on the level of Flora? Yeah, I'm down, I'm down with Arif. He, he gives a good performance. Um, I, I like all those kind of interactions. I think it works well. Uh, there's a subtlety to his performance. It's not... It's not too big. It's not too small. It's kind of uh, it's kind of just right right down the middle. And and again, he gets he gets a lot of material towards the back end to kind of work with different emotions and stuff. So I, I think it's it's I wouldn't say it's kind of um, massively demanding, like you know. But it, it seems like there's kind of a lot for him to do, like different things for him to do. And I think he he does well does well with the material. And I think his interaction with all our leading characters feels you know very natural. Especially the kind of the brotherly connection he has. I like those um, sections in school after he's visited her, where he's, uh, you know, you know, he's 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 distraught clearly, and he's playing a, a guitar in school, and it's the school guitar, so it's like branded with property off, and he like like, like he can't uh, afford his own, so he needs to borrow a guitar, and he's uh, almost desperate to be good at something else other than running, uh, but you know, at that point, and those are like good quiet moments. Uh, it's good newcomer effort uh, i think uh from Arif. we like we understand that and uh interacting with simon and all the other adult actors uh, is really good i mean I, I i like when simon switches from he's usually warm when he's genuinely angry his youngest in particular is uh is failing it's uh, it, it becomes tough to watch that uh it's very naturally staged yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, and there's a lot of faces and eyes on the family as i talk of uh, uh, as i talked of before I believe that there's a little subtle hint there that Simon Yan's character can't read. So he can't, like, see the report card. He can only spot that these colors are not good. These colors mean you're Yeah, afraid. yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I did, I did, I did uh, see that. But I, I maybe thought uh, that it was written in English, possibly. But that's that's actually a good, yeah, good perspective, Kenny. I didn't, I didn't think about that. He's a very simple man, isn't he? He's just, he's, a, he's one of those, he's... he's Simple guy works hard to kind of keep his his family, um, you know, together and kind of alive. 
through tough times. Um, but yeah, he's got that kind of hint there that it is it is uncomfortable because he's he's a he's a very kind of warm father, but tough but warm father. And then during that back end, he he kind of has to get a bit strict and a bit a bit kind of firm. And it, it is it is difficult to watch. I mean, uh, again, the second half that we're going to spoil in a bit, it, it gets tougher to watch. I think this is where viewers might tune out because it is maybe not because they dislike it, but but because it is so punishment that it slips into yeah. the tragedy of uh, the terminal disease and everything seems to go wrong in one swift go. But You could argue it's a film of two halves, couldn't you really, if you wanted to see it like that? I mean, I know them. I know Alex and Mabel, and then they haven't been reckless with the punishing aspect just for simple effect. Yeah. Like they have an idea and a balance in mind, surely. So they they are smart filmmakers, and they they they, um, they push emotionally in a suitable way. Uh, and you know, you are involved uh, without it being without us being prodded. I mean, it's tough when Desmond gets irrational about his shame in front of Flora as a poor teenager. Uh, he even evades her on the phone. I feel, and, and I feel that's genuine. I also feel it's genuine when they are, they genuinely are going to miss each other because she she's going to move at one point, and uh, that's when actors are really starting to gel here, especially the young ones. And Alex is earning the build. They, they're not the insecure beats, Tom, but he's earning the build of the romantic movie. I, I suppose it's uh, just after the typhoon sequence, which I think is. It's a technical marvel, to be honest. Uh, the typhoon sequence, as uh, they need to board up their little uh, store and uh, their uh, whole second store uh, storage front just blows out, and there's like shoes twirling in the air and all kinds of debris in the air, which I think is probably a bit of CGI in there, but it looked like a big old physical sequence to put the actors through, and uh, for, for a movie that you don't that d- doesn't scream techni- technical marvel, the typhoon sequence sure is but it isn't like about uh, showcasing cg like twister or anything it's, uh, it's on that street and there's a lot of wind and a lot of water and the actors need to ride it out too yeah i think it's the first hint of like things are gonna go wrong for our characters yeah. that's the first kind of start the start started off with a bang and uh, i think it all kind of yeah, it gets a bit heavy, heavy from there. But yes, it's a great sequence, and again, a very subtle kind of CGI. I think there was a little bit here and there with some of the effects, but you know, nothing, nothing too kind of uh, obvious. Very worked really well. I mean, when he introduces the fact that that Desmond has leukemia and uh, it doesn't look good, I mean, spoilers! It, you didn't spoilers. say spoilers. I said it thirty minutes ago. Oh so. yeah, were you supposed to say it before? <laughs> what happened? Oh, you, you need to sort of watch where, like, okay, Alex. You're introducing terminal illness, or you're going to be on the side of natural engaging, or are you going to push melodrama? And I, I certainly have notes on it. But what did you think? As he like, like, like did he start to crank it? You think uh, crank the tragedy, tra- crank the melodrama, crank the score, or what was your impression of how he dealt with the terminal disease of it all? I think he, he dealt with that kind of aspect of the film as as, as same as any other aspects of the film with a very even hand. You know, it doesn't feel too heavy. It doesn't feel kind of shoehorned in. There's definitely like a, a split down the middle of the film where things are kind of a bit lighter and a bit more um, warmer. And then it kind of gets a bit kind of darker and, and, and a bit dramatic. But I think... Both sides of the film work well, and I, I think you can tell it's very much a passion project for our filmmakers and and Alex in particular, as they really pour their 
heart and soul into the material. I think it's easily in the running for Alex's best directorial effort. Even better than Painted Faces for you? I think it, it's up there. Yeah, I think it's up there. Honestly, I think... Um, Granted, he's done three movies. <laughs> so yeah, you got okay. like, Nicely, Love, Now, Don't, Painted yeah, Faces. And a couple and of one. shorts. So, you know, I mean, it might not be a massive honor to uh, <laughs> bestow on this. It's better than the Chai Fat movie. Yeah, that's what, that's <laughs> what I was leading up to. Yeah, it's better than his kind of last feature-length directorial effort, for sure. But yeah, it's definitely kind of um, up there with, with Painted Faces for me. Kind of same kind of vibe, you know, kind of heartfelt kind of nostalgia subtle and, and dramatically very engaging and therefore simon and sandra take center stage and we get to we get to experience their emotional acting and they're they're pretty damn exemplary they're at one point they're they're just sort of they're walking uh, the stairs of the hospital just blank in the face they, this is you know a shocker and uh, and then there's a nice time cuts the where we see like that Desmond's sickness have clearly made him motivated academically because he's on uh, TV, uh, like uh, doing a sort of university challenge thing, I suppose. Uh, he, he gets into the quiz show. And uh, so, so there is some drive amid struggles because uh, leukemia in this case is obviously going to, um, it's going to affect the body and uh, energy and uh, all of that. And it's so easy to get all of these things wrong, especially if you're a lesser filmmaker and you're following the template of like like you you look at Celebi Moncherie, okay what you like what like a, the, the the sort of a manual of doing terminal disease drama but yeah the blueprint kind of isn't it really yeah yeah even if it sounds like an easy choice and i know critics probably have singled out this movie as and then it went to the cancer route and then i wasn't interested anymore <laughs> that old chestnut i mean it, it's about if you do it with heart and in and uh in and you invest in your character and then it doesn't feel like stock melodrama. and uh, That's a big, yeah, that's a good point. I think it's the investment in the characters we have, which really, I think without that first hour, I think the second half might have struggled a little bit. But I think because you've got that first half where you get involved kind of in the characters in the kind of day-to-day, um, you know, really easily and you kind of just get sucked in, I think the second half really works. It's, it's quite smart, really, the way the film works in terms of in terms of that element. And you know what he manages to do, Alex, as well, with with the voiceover being so sporadic and not a dominant device, and, and it, it buzzes voiceover. It manages to be kind of affecting that he just sporadically has buzz describe uh, what's going on in his life uh, through simple passages, like uh, over time, Big Brother continued to be sleepier, meaning that obviously mm. his uh, illness is affecting him. They're, they're, they're so good filmmakers that... Yeah, voiceovers is a slippery slope, but they don't overuse it here. Um, yeah, um, and and also Arif, I play I'm playing a character who's sick, so let's just go for it. No, he keeps it emotionally with sort of in within range. He's resigned. He's also protective as a big brother, uh, trying to dispense some lessons to a little bus, even though he might not understand them until a few years later because uh, he's uh, he's very very young. And uh, I suppose uh, the biggest emotional beats comes in sort of small doses. That there's a great moment, which, which is probably like if you want to play Sondrum's uh, Best Actors nomination clip, is where she's uh, the repainting the sign and filling in the red, and she's sort of speaking to herself almost underneath her breath. We we gotta believe, we gotta believe. That's what you get veterans for to go for it, but rein it in too. 
Like yeah. uh, you've gone far enough and you don't need to have a breakdown as she stands there on the ladder and dr- you don't need to drop the paint in slow motion. You know what I mean? <laughs> on the floor, like have a breakdown. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, but I agree. I think that's that, that they do uh, make really good use of, of all the actors in that way. It's 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 subtle. It's not too melodramatic. It, it just, it works. It just works really well. And again, well, I didn't, I didn't, we mention it, but it, you know, it, it's a, it's a funny film as well. Like there's a lot of comedy in that first half and nothing too broad, just kind of, you know, naturalistic stuff, and it, it just it just kind of really adds to the the atmosphere and the kind of realism of of, of the kind of family and and the way they interact. Like with when each- they storm the cinema, right? Like, uh, yeah, you bought enough yeah. tickets. Yeah, we have because yeah. him, 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 you and I, and there we go. And like, let us in. That's cool. And I, oh, bye, please see you. Like like the poor usher, like they just run him over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then they go to watch an old uh, swordplay wuxia film starring Fung Bobo. He, he makes uh, Buzz, a little lad. Um, he uh, makes a kind of a career or a kind of a, a small, a small time hustle over selling the um, fake autographs of uh, of the stars. And yep. it's just yeah, there's a lot of kind of fun in that first half and. Yeah, I think it just it does really take you surprise when it when it switches over to some of the darker dramatic elements, but it just it all comes together. It really really works. I mean, my note was that he was dangerously close to like losing control of uh, and and this going too dark and too far. But ultimately, I, I felt he kept that balance. I mean, did did you ever feel that personally that, uh, that there was a there was a need of a balance there or it just sort of was smooth for you the, the the entrance into the dark and then back into warmth and then back into emotions again i mean it was a bit like uh, you 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 can't slip into this melodrama because you, you you're gonna slip badly so you need to maintain your balance and uh, get through it as well and then you have earned being a terminal disease drama but did you ever think of it or did it just sort of flow naturally for you his uh, his treatment of it yeah, no, it's a bit of an assault course, isn't it? Really, kind of trying to mix all mix all the elements together. And uh, no, I, I never really. I mean, again, you, the kind of pessimist in you goes, "Oh, geez, like we got the kind of you know the whole cancer kind of tragedy set up." You know, when I was enjoying this kind of night, nice warm comedy. And yeah, but I think it goes into it very, very smoothly. It works well, and I, I think again, you have that kind of. The ending, obviously, you get that brightness coming back into the film, as you mentioned, and I think it, it just it works really well. It might be, it might have been a bit, I, I, you know, it's one of those films you just you you hope and pray for a happy ending, right? You know, you've you've got invested in the characters and the story, and you kind of want that to happen. I think you know we we do get you know a happy ending, but very much in line with the kind of the stuff that everyone goes through in life and the kind of realism that everyone goes through in life. So you know, just. It's not a Hollywood ending, is it? It's more kind of very natural kind of ending. It's very easy to be cynical when it comes to these uh, the, the beats of the of the movie. Again, we, we've said spoilers, but obviously, the, you 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 could you could see that that they were gonna have a scene with uh, Arifly uh, when he spits up the blood, which is you know a cliche, a trope out of these movies. But mm. I didn't mind it at all, to be honest, because it followed the return of flora and i was like oh god she came back oh my and I'm, because i wanted her to know in some shape or form uh, i wanted her to know and he had stopped writing to her at that point so uh, so, so i was very happy to see that so that cynicism that's easy to feel it never like uh, manifested itself and because alex jumped between scenes of that and also scenes of 
essentially on the theme of life goes on and uh, yeah. we, we're going to stay together and try and stay happy. The, 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 the only scene I... I'm not going to spoil, but but I want you listeners to, uh, to sort of look forward to is the is the shoe scene with Simon and Sandra, which was so delightful. You know, when he gives her his shoes, that was just like let let elite actors be elite, and it's gonna be elite, and it sure was. That was premium elite interaction. Could have gone wrong in the hands of maybe lesser actors or, or uh, you know more inexperienced actors, but kind of for veterans, it's just you know very kind of make, make they make it look very simple. You know, it was not about moments of levity, but moments of like good-natured interaction, and uh, we're gonna live on, and uh, that's uh, because it, it it's well into obviously his uh, his uh, diagnosis at that point, but uh, he has still uh, sort of behind the scenes uh, made. Uh, made those for her so i i I, I thought that was lovely like play 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 a a sort of a clip from the movie i'll i'll pick that even out of context because it's so lovely to just see them interact for a bit yeah no definitely i I agree but and and i think that's you know it's the part of the film when it all starts kind of getting a bit brighter and and starts kind of uh gets a kind of an uplifting kind of stage um, of the film. But it, it deserves that. You know, it's worked hard up until then, and I think it, it fully it fully deserves those more uh, lighter beats towards the back end of the film. And, and, and when you list the things that go on, you, you might not be, be able to con- convince an audience that it's emotionally affecting. Like the beats during the funeral, for instance, he plays the tape. But like within the flow and context of the film, that kind of fully works without yeah. being uh, like this reimagining of genre or anything. And uh, so, so I think he fully earns those moments because uh, it got to me. Tropy or not, uh, it simply did. And uh, sometimes you you're allowed to reuse uh, tools, but uh, you got to do it. For, uh, somewhat well at the very least and i think alex does it uh, well enough and and then a little bit uh, further i suppose so so uh, do you have any other notes on the film Echoes of the i have some notes um yeah i was gonna say it's unique for a hong kong film as it makes use of licensed music which is a bit of a rarity and um, we get a couple of tracks from the monkeys and and gordon lightfoot respectively uh, the Canadian Bob Dylan. You you can't be high profile nowadays, and and even in 2010, and get away with just um, ripping your best of monkeys from CD to MP3 and put it into the movie. <laughs> is that how is that how films work? I didn't I didn't I had no idea. I mean, back in the day, my, my fear was always that whatever uh, whatever the composer had in his uh, vinyl crate at home that's what ended up ended up in the kung fu movie you know what i mean it's true man it's true it's true i mean i think i, I still stand by the fact that i think what's what's his name uh why, why do i don't know why i want to say gordon ho but it's not gordon ho i'm talking to uh talking to sorry i'm talking about the cut and paste master godfrey godfrey <laughs> I was getting a bit of a yeah, a bit of a mix up there. You know, I think I still stand by the fact that I think his films have got some of the best soundtracks of all time. I mean, I have love Tangerine Dream. Apparently, I have no real relationship with Tangerine Dream, but apparently they just shower their movies with Tangerine Dream. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic kind of songs, just just ripped off, just from anywhere and everywhere. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so uh, that, that, that's one of the pieces of music we'll, we'll feature in the episode. Uh, a little um, uh, The Monkey's Talk was called I Wanna Be Free, right? So, yep. um, so we're going to feature that, I suppose, and a little bit of Eric Lee. So just because uh, he uh, won an award for his, uh, for his song. And Lo Lo, of course, uh, who, who composed it, 
going back all the way to an autumn's tale with uh, with mabel and alex so yeah strong uh, relationship uh, still um anything else or should we talk of availability that's the thing we mentioned earlier. Bodyguards and Assassins swept the board that year, which, uh, you know, is, is a good film. And, and as I was saying, that Shinjuku incident and a few other things. But I don't think any of those have, have the heart that I think Echoes of the Rainbow has. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's the more kind of timeless film and probably a bit more rightly awarded because of its uniqueness in in a year of kind of you know action action dramas so as for availability of echoes of the rainbow at the time of recording uh, it uh, is available on dvd and blu-ray in hong kong it was available back then on dvd but not blu-ray it, it fairly recently got an hd release uh, so uh, it, uh, it got put into circulation uh, again so you can own it um, own it in hd and all of that so um who knows if we're gonna get like uh, a, a sort of let's uh, reissue everything in 4k type of thing in hong kong but uh, i'm still at the blu-ray stage i don't know about you i i want a massive upgrade akin to dvd to blu-ray before i switch formats again you know what i mean yeah i'm still in dvd stage and probably will just stay there for the rest of my life thank you I've said my said my bit. Please elect me as your official. Um, this is my <laughs> pitch to you. I'm perfectly happy with with seeing my films like that. Yeah. Full disclosure, I bought this on DVD. I thought like, nah, it's fine. Let's just buy the DVD. Yeah, yeah. I and, and I did. Serviceable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think you know, and uh, unless it's like um, a kind of te- technical marvel, or I mean, this is in some respects, but. Yeah, I don't think every film needs to be seen in uh, in HD, and I'm perfectly happy with uh, with the kind of SSD with this. Is that is that something? Can I say that? Is that of allowed? Course. Like, it's is that the, legal? It's on this show. It's a uh, it, it's on this network where we talk Hong Kong cinema, new and old. <laughs> the definition is going to vary, going down to as little as 144p, I suppose, if we're watching a VCD or something. <laughs> that's how I saw it. Yeah, so I saw it on YouTube, 144p. Good, good rip. Okay, okay. We are gonna uh, sign off. So next episode is gonna be the last uh, director series on Mabel Chung and Alex Law. If uh, all things work out, we're gonna cover their short movie, the story, the story O or story of O, and mm. then the main uh, movie we're gonna talk of is A Tale of Three Cities. But uh, just to whet your appetite, there's gonna be a bonus episode attached to this. And in the bonus episode that goes up at the same time as the finale, we're going to talk Moon Warriors. Why are we going to talk Moon Warriors by Sam Hung, you say? Well, as we all learned when we bought the UK special edition, because I didn't know, Mabel and Alex essentially were in charge of directing drama scenes. Yeah, dude. And, uh, you know, directing uh, the interaction between Andy Lau and uh, Anita Moy and uh, making sure that's strong, while Sam and his action team, because he wasn't the sole action director on that uh, project, works uh, the action and then the committee makes a product that hopefully gels the the pair mabel and alex uh, appears on the dvd in an interview and commentary so they give a lot of uh, details and such so i thought it would be nice to talk moon warriors on that note uh, they're, they're, they don't have unofficial credits or anything it's not like they're not listed anywhere they are but uh, it's very interesting to hear their contribution was very you know extremely vital because the in-between stuff needs to be good. And my memory of Moon Warriors is that the in-between stuff was very good. Uh, yeah. I quite liked the um, the uh, the stuff between between the action. And uh, that it had some resonance in the context of uh, 
the wild new wave wuxia film that it was definitely i think uh, from what i've i've heard about the film it was definitely a, a team effort in terms of the uh the directorial um work on it so that'd be an interesting one to uh to check out and, and like it extends their um working relationship uh, going from painted faces eight tales of gold and now they're on a movie that sam is in charge of so Definitely, and it's got Hung Dip in it, and I, ju- I just like his name. Like, like it's getting at least three dips out of five for, for me, so <laughs> that, that's a, we're on our way already. That's a new rating system. And Kenny B is in it, not me. Okay, not you. I prefer if you were in it. I, I, I dig it a lot more. It'd be a bit more sleazier. I think it's quite, you know, it's a nice light-hearted romp, and I think you probably bring down the class a little bit. A bit trashy rather than classy, but that's just me being honest. Moon Warriors was a movie that I saw the vhs promo spot ton of times on uk vhs exactly i didn't see the movie until it hit dvd uh i didn't buy that vhs of it because uh, back in the day it was uh, expensive to import those and you 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 had to be selective but what i always remember from it was the, the awesome score they put on the promo spot and 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 knowing nothing I was like, fantastic score for this movie. Knowing more, uh, not the score for the movie. They uh, <laughs> took one of the key themes from uh, uh, The Big Gun Down, composed by Ennio Morricone. And uh, it fit like a glove, but it's not part of Moon Warriors, the movie. Uh, you don't get a big... Amazing piece of marketing, uh, I would say. Yeah, and it's, uh, it was amazing it, uh, how they cut that together. So, yeah. yeah man. Uh, it was not a disappointment. It was just like a confirmation that, yep, yeah, p- put his music on anything. It's gonna, it's gonna <laughs> work somehow. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so there it is. Um, so as for the contact information again for all your podcast on fire network needs, including the back catalog of the director series, go to podcastonfire.com. All the social media links are available, and relevant links uh, connected to this episode will be available in the show post as well. And uh, rate and subscribe and all of that good stuff. So uh, support the show uh, that way. The log logs, even quicker pitch this time. Oh, okay. Whoa, we're going to be quick with this one. Thelogalogs.com. Check it out. It's a website. Put it, put it in that little space. It's like a couple of millimeters at the top of the page when you open Google Chrome or something. I think it, you put it in there and you press enter. And then it takes a little bit of time and then it, it comes up and it's the logger logs. And I think you should do it, everyone. Check it out. Okay, okay. Was that shorter than the last one? Was that better? It's a plug. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. That's all I that's all I wanted out of it. That's all I wanted out of it. Uh, the link will be available in the show post. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I've been kind of here with me. Was Tom KW discussing Echoes of the Rainbow? We'll see you for the finale of the Mabel Chung and Alex Law coverage. But the director series will live on after with uh, uh, handled the filmography of those filmmakers. So it's not the last episode of the director series. Next Thank time. God. Thank God. I'm not out of we, work just yet. We have work to do. Uh, so uh, let's sign off. I've been Kenny B. With me was Tom KW. So say goodbye to the to the kids and the fans of Echoes of the Rainbow. Thanks, guys, for listening. And we'll see you soon. Oh, Sei
起飘飘星。